All right, everybody, we are back for PoopCast 3.0 with the good Dr. McFerrin. Welcome back, Dr. McFerrin. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Dr. Rayburn. Always a pleasure to be back uh, for my uh, third round here of board review. If you missed the first two iterations, you can always go back and brush up on diarrhea and IBD. For our third iteration, though, we're going to be talking about the vomiting child. Right, and I think we'll spend most of our time today talking about acute vomiting in children. Uh, At the very end, we'll spend a brief amount of time talking about um, cyclical vomiting in children. When evaluating vomiting in children, um, it's important always, as with most things, to consider a age-specific differential diagnosis. So first and foremost, um, as pediatricians considering infants who vomit, A well-grown infant who otherwise appears well with a normal examination and no concerning physical exam findings most likely has physiologic reflux of infancy. When things get a bit more interesting is when the vomiting comes uh, to be projectile, if not bilious. And the two most common conditions that you would not want to miss on your uh, examination or in your clinical care are pyloric stenosis and malrotation. Um, Of course, pyloric stenosis being non-bilious projectile emesis, most commonly and also for examination questions would be in a two-month-old young boy, though it can occur in females as well. Uh, Important to also remember that they can have significant electrolyte abnormalities that often need to be corrected. Uh, prior to surgical intervention. There are multiple ways to diagnose pyloric stenosis. Um, The two most common would be, um, and probably the easiest, is a pyloric ultrasound, most likely gold standard, but an upper GI can also uh, be beneficial as it shows the string sign as the varium uh, leaves the stomach. I think that's our key buzzwords for pyloric stenosis too, is that projectile vomiting, the young male infants. Um, I actually had a question recently looking at what metabolic derangements come along with that, Mm -hmm. Um, if you don't mind speaking to that, what they typically have. Right, so they typically have hypochloremic, hypokalemic, metabolic alkalosis, which, again, for, for surgical outcomes and for anesthesia, often will need to be corrected and the children need to be returned to uh, some a normal uh, normal volemia, euvolemic, prior to the procedure is what most surgeons prefer. In regards to bilious emesis in an infant, these infants typically appear to be a bit more ill. Often with pyloric stenosis, they may have weight loss and appears dehydrated, But in children with a bowel obstruction, for example, the one you would not want to miss would be malrotation. The emesis is typically bilious. Their abdomen can be firm um, and distended, and they can appear uh, quite toxic. In pediatrics, we often talk about the difference between sick and not sick. These children often appear ill, whereas with pyloric stenosis, they may have had a gradual weight loss over time. You don't necessarily anticipate weight loss in in a patient who's had malrotation. As with all things we do, first and foremost, uh, key to differentiating these causes uh, would be a physical examination. Of course, an infant who appears lethargic but winces every time and wakes up every time you touch their belly, any abdominal distension, 
bilious emesis, um, all prompt um, emergent evaluation, depending on where you're at, uh, but most places uh, would certainly be able to accommodate a quick plane abdominal radiograph or KUB and, and a left lateral to look for signs of a bowel obstruction. And ultimately, uh, treatment involves um, prompt recognition, gastric decompression with an NG, and then contacting your local surgeon or transferring to a place who can intervene. So just to reiterate, uh, with pyloric stenosis, often a two-month-old, um, more commonly in males, with projectile vomiting can have weight loss, uh, signs of dehydration, and electrolyte abnormalities, including uh, hypokalemic, hypochloremic metabolic alkalosis. How many palpable olives have you felt? In I have day? never felt a palpable <laughs> olive. And, and you know, when you, when you ask that question to pediatric gastroenterologists and to pediatricians and specifically to pediatric surgeons, that's typically the answer you get. I have been told that in some of the children who are very um, thin and have lost a significant weight and dry that occasionally you can fill it, but that was by a surgeon who had been practicing for 40 years. So uh, that's a question on your boards, but I've never seen it in clinical practice. That's more buzzwords. That's stuff. right. And so, of course, treatment for pyloric stenosis is a, a simple pyloromyotomy by your favorite pediatric surgeon. And to review malrotation, bilious emesis, ill-appearing infant, signs of obstruction on a KUB. Of course, you're not going to want you're you will not want to obtain an upper GI series um, in that instance because giving barium to someone with a bowel obstruction is a clinical no-no. But these are certainly two conditions in both pyloric stenosis and malrotation that you would not want to miss. Very good. All right, so continuing on um, from infants where we talked about um, briefly physiologic reflux of infancy, uh, malrotation, and pyloric stenosis, and shifting into a different age group of school children um, and adolescents, uh, by far and away the, the most common cause of acute vomiting would be um, acute um, viral gastroenteritis, which um, most children have had numerous times per year. As you know, it's self-limiting, um, and most importantly, maintaining um, appropriate hydration uh, is treatment in these scenarios. Judicious use of anti-nausea medications can be beneficial as you work to, to uh, rehydrate a patient. However, long-term use should be avoided. In regards to um, other presentations of acute vomiting, in this age group as well, it's important to remember that malrotation can also present in this age group, and it does not always uh, present in infancy. So if you are assessing a patient with acute vomiting who has a tender abdomen, the vomiting's bilious, they may even have some distension, and the KUB shows signs of obstruction, malrotation would certainly have to be considered, as it is one of the more common causes of acute surgical vomiting in this age group. The other thing to always remember in school-age children and adolescents specifically is that vomiting is not always originating in the GI tract. It's the nausea and subsequent vomiting is often secondary to a more global systemic illness. Uh, for example, urinary tract infections, pyelonephritis, um, you know, children with um, otitis media, um, strep pharyngitis will vomit. 
Children with uh, uh, neurologic findings, such as meningitis, certainly will vomit. Often children, younger children who have pneumonia or asthma exacerbations, presenting symptom may be vomiting that is post-tussive. And so I think it's incredibly important um, when the pieces don't quite fit clinically to get a good physical examination and assess for other things, uh, for example, productive cough, uh, dysuria, um, uh, flank tenderness, and, and the like. So you're saying a thorough history and physical can actually make the diagnosis? It sure can. Imagine that. It sure can. And most of the time, we should be able to narrow the amount of testing that you need, or you may not need any testing at all, but rather than a more shotgun approach of ordering everything, it should help you narrow down whether you need a chest x-ray if you're ruling out pneumonia. You may just need a urinary analysis if the, the vomiting is coming from a UTI. So always important to consider. Makes sense. So I think there's one that we need to circle back to that's probably fairly high yield with a couple buzzwords, and that would be duodenal atresia. Yeah, thank you for the reminder. I It's always important to keep that in your differential, um, particularly in the immediate newborn period. These children often present with signs and symptoms of a bowel obstruction, feeding intolerance, and, and can appear quite ill. With duodenal atresia, the, the key words that you need to remember for your board examination are that it's associated with Down syndrome or trisomy 21. It's also <clears throat> associated with polyhydramnios. And the classic um, x-ray finding is the so-called double bubble sign. Um, and then treatment, of course, for these infants is surgical. Yeah, I think we'll make sure to put on the Twitter um, a lot of these images so everybody can take a look. Double bubbles, pretty classic. It pretty may, classic image finding, and it is often on examinations. As the Because remember that you can have a stem or you can also have an image as part of your stem. So I think that that'll be a good one to review. So we'll make sure to put that on our Twitter as well. In addition, I, I think it would be helpful to include a picture of an upper GI showing pyloric stenosis, uh, the string sign, I know that has been on board examinations as well, and it's a pretty classic finding. Absolutely. We'll do it. So I think that's a good overview of kind of the acute causes of vomiting. Uh, we looked at different age groups. Now, if vomiting goes on for a prolonged period of time or happens in maybe a cyclic fashion, how would we go about considering that? Right. So when you start to talk about an evaluation of cyclic vomiting syndrome, it's always important to consider other potential etiologies. As you may or may not know, cyclic vomiting syndrome is a migraine um, disorder and is in the same family as classic migraine headache as well as abdominal migraine. These children often can present at very young ages the most typical history that we get is that the child will awaken between the hours of midnight and 6 a.m., and they will awaken with abdominal pain and vomit, non-bloody, non-bilious gastric contents. It can occur as infrequently as one episode of vomiting, or it can last for days. The striking feature about this is that they have completely well intervals in between. And often these children have sought care for and been diagnosed with viral gastrointestinal illness, of course, which is totally understandable, especially if they're only having episodes every two to three months. 
Um, but in hindsight, when you look back, the family will often tell you, no, this is a distinct pattern, complains of belly pain and a headache, and it always occurs at this time. There's been no dietary trigger. No one else in the house was sick. And it's a criteria-based uh, diagnosis uh, for the, the symptoms um, that I previously mentioned, uh, mainly repetitive episodes of stereotypical vomiting, the complete well intervals in between, symptoms often um, occurring in the middle of the night or early morning hours, and no clinical signs or symptoms of other illnesses. Now, when they make it all the way to us as pediatric gastroenterologists, but something that I would is encouraged uh, for pediatricians and others to do is you have to rule out malrotation in these patients. We do occasionally catch malrotation in these uh, in these young patients, um, and that is the cause of their intermittent episode of um, episodes of vomiting. The other thing that should be considered, particularly if there are other symptoms, and this is all guideline based from our national organization, is obtaining an abdominal ultrasound to make sure uh, the child does not have um, a UPJ obstruction or some other type of hepatobiliary congenital abnormality um, like a colidocal cyst that can cause intermittent and repetitive vomiting. Also, no one would ever fault you for getting basic lab work to make sure that the child is not experiencing diabetic ketoacidosis or, or some other finding. But again, physical examination is key here. And if you had to remember to rule out one thing, it should be um, obtain a good upper GI to rule out malrotation. Yeah, it seems like these are children that find their way through the system multiple times before they end up in your office. So I think that there's a lot of other things to consider. Would you consider this a diagnosis of exclusion? You know, some people do consider it a diagnosis of exclusion. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. so by the time they make it to me, I can see the four or five ER visits or, or, or visits to the pediatrician's office. And, you know, when, when they're being seen for acute vomiting and abdominal pain, of course, you know, the most common treatment is, is uh, supportive measures for likely viral gastroenteritis. But often by the time they've made it to, to me in a subspecialty clinic, they have had testing. But if they haven't, I certainly um, rule out malrotation. I think this is probably beyond the scope of the boards, but more for my knowledge. And there's a lot of listeners that are listening for clinical knowledge as well. What is the initial kind of management strategy once you've made a diagnosis of cyclic vomiting look like? Sure. Once you um, have, have made the, the diagnosis and um, assured that there are no other systemic signs or symptoms that would be concerning for another disorder, treatment is guideline-based through our national um, and European organizations. We use medications very similar to um, how migraines are treated. In children under the age of five, we will start with ciproheptadine twice a day and then move on to propranolol um, if that um, does not provide them relief. For children that are older, we will use propranolol, but but more commonly amitriptyline because amitriptyline is once a day at bedtime. The I, when I have these discussions with family, if they're having an episode once every three months, it is often not worth putting them on daily medications. Um, we typically offer daily medications if they are experiencing episodes greater than one time monthly, interfering with normal activities, interfering with school attendance. On the kids who are having episodes more infrequently, 
uh, we will provide them a good script for an abortive therapy. Um, abortive therapies can include um, ondansetron, but can also include um, things like lorazepam that actually works very, very well um, to abort episodes of cyclic vomiting. You can move on uh, to additional treatments, the triptans that are used for, for migraines as well, um, even some of the anti-epileptic drugs that are used for migraine prevention can also be used. Well, thank you very much. That was very helpful. Uh, I think we covered some, you know, a lot of the important stuff from an acute standpoint. I know that we could sit here for hours and talk about all of the causes of vomiting, but I think this is a great start, and we appreciate you, Dr. McFerrin. Always a pleasure. Thanks.